My name is Dusty Davis, and I'm on staff here in the youth and family ministry. And so what that means is on Sunday mornings, I hang out with the 5th and 6th graders and teach to them here and then oversee that same program at Southwood. And then I get to spearhead church-wide events like Country Fair. If any of you were a part of that, I got to be the head of the arrow on that guy. And if you did, thanks. It was phenomenal. And then the other thing I get to do is our summer project, which this year's Backyard Bible Clubs, which is what we did last year. And so that's kind of my role. And I'm excited to be here and uh, get to spend time with you guys tonight. We're going to kind of do what the guys on the football team will do tomorrow. We're going to pop in a tape and do like a breakdown of the game play by play, except we're going to look at the story of Lazarus uh, in John 11. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us and then uh, we will dig in. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just come before you tonight and God, we just thank you for your love. Uh, We thank you that uh, you've created each one of us, specifically how you've chosen to make us. Uh, We thank you for placing us here in College Station and giving us the the opportunity to attend Grace Bible Church. God, I pray that tonight as we open your word and uh, look at this amazing miracle uh, of Lazarus, that you would just fill the room with your spirit, speak through me, and allow us to be encouraged, convicted, and challenged uh, to continue to live for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, my hope is that when we walk out of here tonight, we'll be experts on the story of Lazarus, and that also we'll have had our eyes opened a little bit more to the sovereignty and to the character of God, so that I figure it's Thanksgiving week, so we should probably be thankful about that too. So we're going to be thankful for God's character and his sovereignty as we jump in. Before we start reading verse 1, I'll just, the key players here, uh, we've got Mary and Martha and Lazarus, which are brothers and sisters there. And then we've got Jesus, and we've got the disciples, and then kind of a group of Jews. And so uh, that's, that's kind of who will be doing the do here. And then uh, in, in terms of timing, we're getting really close to the Passion Week. Uh, two chapters from here, they uh, do the Lord's Supper and the High Priestly Prayer and all that kind of good stuff. And so we're, we're getting right in close to that is where this takes place. So first we'll read uh, chapters 1 through 10. Or verses 1 through 10 in chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Mary and Martha and her sister Lazarus. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day... He does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So as we look at this, I think one of the big things just right off the bat, Martha and Lazarus were pretty obvious. Mary, obviously there's several Marys in the Bible and one that birthed Jesus. And so you see the disclaimer there, the one who anointed the Lord with ointment. It's kind of interesting because that actually hasn't happened yet. It happens a little later. But the writer here is assuming that the audience is familiar with what's going on. And so he just throws it in there so we know who it is. 
But I think one thing that jumps at me, at me huge is that from the very beginning, we see a statement by Jesus that the sickness of Lazarus is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Right there in chapter 4. So we got this situation. Lazarus is sick. He's really sick. He's, you know, headed toward death, not too far off. And, and Jesus tells the messenger that comes to him, hey, chill out. The sickness isn't headed that way. This is for the glory of God and for the glorification of the Son. The other thing that is kind of striking to me is the fact that his actions don't really line up with that, it seems. In verse 6, he says, Therefore he heard that he was sick. He stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. I think if I was off with the disciples and we were teaching and hanging out, and uh, one of my close friends, uh, a messenger came and told me, Hey, one of your buddies is super sick and he's about to die. I think I'd be a little urgent about getting there. I don't think I'd be like, oh, okay, well, we're just going to hang out a couple more days, and, uh, and then we'll come and, and see about him. And so as we, think about, as we think about this through the lens of God's character and God's sovereignty, I think we see right away that there's purpose in what's happening here and that God's completely in control. If Jesus didn't know exactly what was ahead of him, I, I don't imagine that he'd just kind of chill out and be like, well... I mean, we'll get there as soon as we can, uh, but, but we're kind of busy right now. And so that's, that's just from the very beginning, I think we see that. We see that there's purpose in what's going on, even though it doesn't feel like it, and that God, Jesus knows that he's definitely in control. And then I think you see Jesus' response. The, the disciples are super worried about heading in. In the chapter just before, uh, in 10, Jesus was in the temple, and uh, the Jews are there, and they ask him, hey, why don't you just tell us? If you're the Christ, just come out and tell us that you're the Christ. And he says, well, I did tell you. I have told you, but you don't believe me. And I've showed you with my works, and you still don't believe me. And, and so they take up stones to stone him because they're angry. And he says, well, why do you stone me? I, I show you. I prove what I tell you is, is right because of the works that I performed. If the works that I performed weren't right, if I couldn't actually do it, then, hey, you have every right not to believe me. But why do you stone me? And then they come out and say, well, we don't stone you for your works. We stone you for blasphemy. You're saying that you're God. And so you're going down. And so they have just left Jerusalem and headed across the Jordan right when this messenger comes and says, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, hey, guys, we're headed back. And so I think you see in his response, the words specifically, he says, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. Now, I think what he's echoing is from John 8, 12, where he says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of light. And so here, just two chapters earlier, he says, I am the light. If you walk with me, you will be in light and you will have life. And so right here, the disciples are freaking out and they're worried and they're like, well, we just got run out of there and we left on purpose and we barely escaped. And Jesus says, hey, chill out, chill out. Just trust me. If you're with me, we're good. We're okay. So saddle up. We're heading back. And so they head back. So you see the confidence there that Jesus knows he's in control. And he gives the the disciples the comfort that when they're with him, they can trust in that. And know that they're safe to be with the one who's in control. So the next passage we'll look at uh, is 11 through 16 here. It says, this he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. 
Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Well, let us also go, that we may die with him. So, I think you see typical Jesus here. You see kind of a pattern that, hey, Jesus reveals that he's dead. But he does it in, you know, parable speak. You know, well, Lazarus has gone to sleep, so we need to go see about him. So then the disciples are clueless. They're like, okay, well, if he's gone to sleep, then it's no big deal. And there's really no reason for them to think that he's dead necessarily because no one has said that. All they said that he was sick. But Jesus revealing, hey, I have the authority here. I have the knowledge here that he's dead and we're heading that way. So he just tells them straight up. He says, guys, Lazarus is dead. And then he gets all crazy on us again. And he says, I'm glad. Okay, I'm glad he's dead because he's my good buddy. No, but he says, I'm glad. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there so that you may believe. So let us go to him. And so right there, I think the whole purpose of this comes out again. The sickness is not unto death, but the glory of God, that the Son may be glorified by it, and that you guys, you guys may believe. Now, the, the interesting thing here is I think believe obviously doesn't mean for the first time you guys are going to believe in me. Because if you go all the way back to where Jesus turned the water into wine, it says at the very end of that that the Son was glorified and the, the disciples believed in Jesus. The disciples believed who Jesus was. And so that's back in 2.11, if you're taking notes. Word for word, it says, The beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And so I think what we're looking at here by they believed is the sanctification idea. They're, okay, we left everything, we're following you, so obviously we believe that you're someone special. We believe that you're worth following after. We, We don't really get it, Completely, but hey, we're headed down the track with you. And so I think Jesus says, hey man, he's dead, but we're going there so that this can be strengthened, so that you guys can believe further. I mean, that's one revelation that he brings out. So then the other thing is, they're getting to know more about who Jesus is. Not only are they getting to have their belief strengthened by going into a hostile territory, by going somewhere they just got put out of, by going to someone who's already dead to see what's going on, but in following Jesus... And in seeing what's going to happen, they get to see him in a bigger and a bigger light. And so I, I think that's the same thing for us in our life. As we trust him, as we follow him, as things are kind of crazy and we don't know what's going on, we get stretched in our belief, but we also get to see him come through and we get to see his bigger picture. And we get to see more of a glimpse of who Jesus is. And so it's interesting when you talk about the sanctification and the coming to full mature belief. In the last verse here in 16, it brings up Thomas. And Thomas says, well, hey, let us also go that we may die with him. And so he may not really get what's going on. He's like, hey, guys, we just came out of there. They were going to stone him. Probably going to go die. But, hey, Jesus is our dude, so let's go. Let's just see what happens. And I think it's interesting as they follow Jesus throughout, not just through this, but in his ministry, you see Thomas after he touches his side and, and touches his hands, and he says, I believe that you are God. And so he right there just, he's not partial in belief, but it brings him through to full belief, mature belief in who Jesus Christ is. 
So in the next passage we're going to look at is 17 through 19. And this is where I want you to kind of get a feel for where we are. We're in Bethany. They were out by the river. Uh, but it says, when Jesus came, he found that, they had already been in the tomb, that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. And so they were in Jerusalem. They were teaching. Jesus got run out of town. So they went out beyond the Jordan River, uh, and they were hanging out there teaching the people there. And then Bethany, which is right there outside, someone comes, says, hey, we need you to come back. And so that's where they're headed back in. So you see the Sea of Galilee up top, the, the Dead Sea down below. And so that's kind of the layout of what we're looking at. 20 is where uh, I guess things start getting a little more interesting. It says, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary still sat still in the house. I, I think you get to see a little more Martha there from the other story where she was running around and preparing everything and Mary was just chilling at Jesus' seat. I think she just has kind of that responsibility of, of a hospitality. Well, Jesus is coming. I better go out. I better greet him. I better, I better see him coming in. So Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So I think what we see out of Martha right away, we see two things. We see mourning. We see grief and we see faith because she comes out and she says, God, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. She's, she's tore up. She's upset. She's like, you could have stopped this, but you didn't. And now he's gone. And so right in that, I see right away she's mourning, she's grieving, but she's also showing great faith in Jesus, admitting, confessing that, hey, you could have saved him. So then Jesus comes back and says, hey, your brother shall rise again. And Martha just kind of thinks, okay, you're, you're consoling me. This is kind of the customary, don't worry, uh, you'll see him again in heaven, right? So she's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. He'll, he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I, I get that. And so Jesus says, no, no, you don't get it. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So her faith is significant, but it's too focused. She's just seeing the end. She's just seeing eternal. She's just seeing what's to come. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to do something big right now. I am here and I am the resurrection and I am the life. And in me, I offer it to you now. You're right in what you're saying, but that's, that's not just the end of it. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing more. And so I think that's probably the essence. That's, that's the bomb that Jesus drops. He's like, okay, Here's what this event is all about. And it's through this that I'm going to be glorified. It's through this that these people will believe. And so you, you just really see, he, he states the resurrection and the life, and then he just hits each one of those. In 25, he says, he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. So there you go, resurrection. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So there's that eternal life. They shall live, and I am that, that life. And so... Mary doesn't get it, obviously, because she repeats the same thing she said earlier. She says, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes in the world. 
So after this, Jesus says, okay, I've told you what's coming. I've told you what's going on. You're like the disciples. You're just, you're not, you're not getting it, which is cool, which is fine. But okay, go get your sister. And so, so in 28, it says, when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, hey, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. So she hears this and she gets up and she goes quickly and she came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that she rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So I think that's pretty straightforward. She's in the house. She's crying with her friends. Her sister comes in and says, hey, Mary, Jesus is here. He wants to see you. So she goes, okay. So she hops out, heads, the group follows her, and then she is in the same place, which I think is to be commended of expressing her faith while she's mourning. Hey, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So next we get to see how Jesus responds, uh, when, and that's in 33. He says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, behold, how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did not I say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so I think a cool thing here is that we get to see that Jesus was deeply moved. Uh, We get to see the difference between how she and the Jews reacted and then how he reacted. The Jews and and Mary, it says that they wept. Uh, And that word was klio which meant like mourning or lamenting or, or uh, having pain. And so we're all pretty familiar with that. I mean, they're just crying out. They're broken. They're just going at it. But with Jesus, it says he was deeply moved and was troubled. Those words are imbrimaiomai, and that means that it's a horse snort. Like when a horse is irritating, he's about to attack. He's, you know, he's just like, that's more a pig. But you get the picture. Um, so he's, he's moved with anger, and he's like, he's like, uh, he's getting his foot going. He's a, he's, a, he's a horse snort. And then it says that he was troubled, terrasso. He was agitated. He was stirred up. And so to him, he knows Lazarus is about to come back. So he's not mourning. He's not lamenting a death. He's not saddened over that. But I think he's just irritated at what Satan has done to the world and what sin has done to the world and what these people are going through. And he's like, man, I'm ready to engage. I'm ready to get at this. I know what's going on. This is crazy stuff. Let's do this. And so he brings hope. I think in the next statement, he says, okay, I'm ready to do this. Um, I, I'm moved. I'm horse snorting. Uh, it says Jesus wept. He, he showed tears as an emotional, physical response to what's going on inside of him. Um, and he says, okay, where is he? And they say, okay, he's, he's, come, he's over here. Come on. And so at that point, they're like, okay, well, what's going on? He wants to go. Maybe, maybe something's going on. And that's where I think he acts with authority. Before he dropped the bomb by saying, hey, people come back to life, 
This is where he starts showing his authority. This is where things happen because he says, hey, take the stone away. And Martha, once again, the one who is always ceremonially, you know, there doing her thing. She's like, okay, but it's going to be kind of nasty. The dude's, he's been dead for four days. He's starting to decompose. It's going to be gross, but I'll I'll do it. Uh, I think the four days is kind of an interesting thought because in the third century, there was a rabbinic belief that the soul maybe hovered around the body for three days, but on the fourth day, when decomposition kind of set in, then it left. Um, We don't know if that was a belief that was really around this early. But either way, he's been dead four days. There's no doubt the dude's dead. This isn't just a resuscitation move. You know, this is a full resurrection that's going on. And so the fact that the four days is mentioned, I think, just really brings you to that point. So she's, she's going at it, and she's like, hey, this is going to stink. And he's like, hey, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So he's saying, I told you this was coming. And the way I kind of think about this, I didn't really care for school all that much. But when I went to, like, took biology or chemistry, you sit in class, and the teacher's, like, giving you a lecture, and you're writing all this stuff down, and you're like, okay, I kind of get it, but I don't really know what's going on. Well, then you go to lab, and occasionally, like once out of all your classes, you get a lab instructor who actually knows what they're doing and can do the lab well. And so you're sitting there, and you're like, okay, we're supposed to put this stuff over here, and okay, we take this thing, and we cut it right here, or you know, whatever, and you're just kind of walking through the motions, and then finally it happens, and maybe it clicks. And you're like, oh, okay, okay, that's what he was talking about in class. This is, it, the pieces are starting to come together, and I think... Professors kind of, my, my wife is a PhD student and a, and a TA, and so she teaches some of these labs. And so she starts to get excited when she sees the light going on for people. Like, oh, I didn't understand what my prof was even speaking, much less what he was actually trying to get me to learn. But now I'm kind of getting it. I'm getting it. And so I think Jesus is getting excited because he's saying, all right, I've been telling you, I've been telling you, but now you're actually going to get to see it happen. And so we, we move into 41 where, where stuff really starts happening. But first, I want to look at the Jews' response. Because Jesus wept, and the Jews are kind of in two camps, in 36 and 37. There's some Jews who say, man, man, behold how he loved him. Jesus loved this dude. Look at this. He's crying over this. There's no doubt that there's love that this man shared for him. But then you've got the other camp who want to be doubtful, who want to be skeptics, who want to say, well, okay, but could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And so I think for me, there's a little bit of a conviction here in, in whether I respond. I, I think a lot of like the Garden of Eden where, you know, Adam and Eve are told, hey, you know, do the whole garden, have all of it, anything you want, but just the one tree. Yeah, don't go there. And so they start off life good and they're just like enjoying what he's giving them and they're enjoying the fellowship with God and they're doing life. But then Satan's like, hey, you know, there's this one tree and I think, I think you really want this. Because I think it offers what God doesn't want you to have. And so I think, to me, when I think about this, I'm tempted when times get hard or when there's something that I don't think is going my way, not to trust God and trust his love for me, but to go, well, God, if you're so powerful, I mean, couldn't you have done this or or done that? Couldn't you have kept this from happening in my life? I I just don't understand. And so I think, for me, it's just, I guess, refreshing to know that, you know, that's kind of been around forever. Uh, all the way back to the garden, and then here we see it specifically in the way the Jews respond. So next we get to see God move. 41 here, it says, 
And so they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you, he- you heard me. And I knew that you heard me always. But because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that you did send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So I I think we see once again, starting in the beginning, carried through now to the end, that he responds with a purpose. Jesus gives this audible prayer. And in this audible prayer, it's kind of weird because he's praying a prayer of thanks for something that he's already prayed. So he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I knew that you heard me always. But because of the people staying around me, I've, I'm saying it. I've said it, that they may believe that you sent me. And so you continue to see that, okay, Jesus is not just acting and he's not just doing what he's supposed to because God's saying it, but that there's this continued purpose all the way along the road. Even though from the very beginning, stuff doesn't really make sense to anyone else involved, Jesus just reveals step by step, hey, guys, chill out. I'm in control here and I have purpose in what's going on. So then you see that as God brought Jesus and Jesus was for the whole world that all would believe in him, in this, he acts not only for the few privy that were around him or just for Mary and Martha, but at this point it says that he spoke up in a loud voice. You know, the crowds there, all who can hear, Lazarus come forth. And then with power he acts because the miracle happens. The dude's been stinking, who's been dead for four days, who's wrapped up, comes. And there he is, and everybody can see him with his face, face wrapped in cloth and with r- cloth wrapped around him. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. And so I think right there you see the essence of, hey, guys, here's the climax. Here's what I've been telling you we're going to do all along. Here's what I've been moving. And like I always do, I'm moving so that you will believe, and I'm moving so that everyone that's around can know that God sent me and that I am the resurrection and that I am the life. And then it's through me that you trust. And it's through me that you receive these things. And I'm here to offer it now. And so once again, we get to see the Jews in the two camps right at the end, 45 and 46. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what had done believed in him. So there you go. Whoa. He said all this was going to happen. It did happen. The dude's legit. But then in 46, you see, some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus has done. So the ones with an open heart, the ones who are following after him, who are receiving what's going on, saying, hey, there's, there's no way to not believe in who this guy is. Through everything that's happened here, through everything that feels out of control, he's got to be who he is. And you have the other camp who runs away immediately and says, Pharisees, hey, look what's going on. we got a problem here. And so as we just look at this whole picture, the application that I want to look at is threefold. Number one, with Jesus coming and proclaiming, hey, I am the resurrection, I am the life. If you never have come to that place, you've never accepted the fact that it's only through Jesus Christ, and it's only the fact that he died on the cross for your sin, that you can have that life, and that you can live forever once you die physically with God. That's one thing that I would say that, not just through this example, but through all the ones he provided, Christ wants over and over and over again to prove the authority that he's got and that he is from God and that God sent him and that what he says is true. 
And so I think just from this, if a dude came and said, well, that guy's been dead for four days, but I'm going to raise him from the dead. Okay, raise up. Let's go. Um, that's, some, that's some pretty good evidence, pretty good proof uh, to consider um, for eternity and for who he said he was and what he did. The other thing I would say is focus on the biggest, the bigger picture of God's character and God's sovereignty. I know for me, the college years were kind of crazy for me. I'd always grown up just doing the right thing. I'd grown up building a reputation for myself. And then I came to college and it was like there was no reputation. I didn't know anybody. I was just there and I was doing my thing and I had to decide, hey, am I going to walk or am I not? And I kind of floated and just chased whatever came around. I didn't get dropped in the best situation either because my roommate was a 28-year-old guy out of the Marines who has got to be the meanest guy I'd ever met in my life. If you brush by his bed, he, hey, that's not your bed. Respect my stuff. He'd clean his guns at night. It's crazy, okay? And then my sweet mate, one was a raver. That was, you know, a cool dude, but just kind of some weird stuff. And the other one was selling weed out of his room. So it was like, hey, you know, these are my options. This is what I have around me. And so uh, I didn't make the best choices. But in it, I wish that I hadn't let my circumstances dictate my perspective of God. I wish that I would trusted who God said he was. And I wish I would trusted his goodness and his love for me that he reveals over and over and over and over. And let that be the starting point and the foundation for who I view God to be. And to not get freaked out and to let my circumstances either dictate who I become or dictate what I think about God. I, I had, when I started college, I still had three great-grandparents. Everyone in my family had kids at like 18. And so everyone was super young. You know, my dad just turned 50. And so parents are super young. I hadn't really ever dealt with death. So I had a, several, several parents or grandparents die while I was in college. I had a cousin die while I was in college. Um, I played baseball when I was in A&M. And I got tendonitis in my shoulder and my elbow so bad that I had to stop playing. The girl that I knew I was going to marry broke up with me and took off to an internship in London. There was just a lot of hard stuff going on. And so I really allowed what was going on in my life to kind of allow me to distance myself from God. When in reality, God's given us his word and he's given us stories like this that we can know who he is and we can trust that he loves us and that he is in control. And like Romans 8.28 says, he uses all things, all things for the good of those who love him. And I just, I wish I trusted him and trusted in who he was as the foundation of how I behaved and how I felt about him and not allowed the things of life to do the reverse. So I just hope that you'll use this story and use what he's got in this word to continually affirm in yourself, continually spend time with him, pursue him, that fellowship, that relationship, so you can base the way you live off of who he is and not off of what's going on in your life. Because... If a guy who had been dead four days can be raised from the dead and we can see that through every step of the way God was in control and had purpose, then we can trust that whatever's going on on in our life, he's just as much in control and just as much out for it for us. So Jacob's going to come back up and he's going to close us in some worship here. And so as we just are able to reflect on on God's sovereignty and on his character and how he reveals himself so just clearly in this story of Lazarus, Let's just go ahead and and worship him. Uh, Y'all can stand and 
join in. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, we just come before you tonight and we just thank you that uh, we can worship your holy name and that you are worthy of that. God, I just pray that you would draw us near to yourself and give us confidence in your character. God, give us minds that can be strong and trust that you are in control, even when our lives feel out of control. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great night. Thank you for coming.